0: The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Rack and
1: Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is the newscast for episode 74 for the week of July 9th. Alex, do you feel rested having taken a whole week off of this job?
0: You know... It's amazing how rested I feel. Yeah. So rested that I'm ready to go on vacation.
1: <laughs> and you're, so you're ready to go leave us again. That's what I you're am. saying. So you're kind of an every other week type of a guy at yeah, this point. You know, that's how I like to roll. Yeah. Well, this is uh, this is going to be a, a good episode. We have some fun news to go through. Before we do, we have a little bit of housekeeping. We have a, a Slack channel we'd love to get you guys in, engaged with. Um, it's a place where you get to meet d- different folks from the security community and have some great conversations.
0: We also have a mailing list, so if you'd like to
1: receive the show notes every week, go ahead and sign up for that. Uh, we recommend that you rate us on your favorite podcast app, and please subscribe so you get these automatically downloaded to your phone each week.
0: And finally, we also have a Patreon going, so if you'd like to support the show, we would love you for you to become a patron. Thanks uh, to Mark Weatherford, who signed up at the $10 level. So uh, Mark gets a shout out
1: on the show and a t-shirt, so thank you, Mark. Appreciate that. And we would love it if you guys would uh, come support us as well and get some free swag. It's not free, I guess. Get some swag and uh, help us keep the show going. Exactly. With, with that, let's jump into some stories. First story, it's kind of to bring to closure this, this cliffhanger we've left over the last month or two, right? Um, first, we had scooters laying all around downtown Denver. Yep. And then people and then, riding them everywhere. And it was, it was havoc. It was mayhem. And then all of a sudden the cats city and said, dogs living together. Yeah. You said you were, you were out of here. We got rid of the scooters. They, they said, if you don't take them out, we're going to take them out for you. Uh, but now, you know, it's, it, we're back where the city has said you can have scooters as long as you follow our rules. And their rules are basically, eh, and do whatever you want. You should do these things, you know, put them here, put them there. You they, know, don't park them in the middle of the sidewalk. The city has stuff. asked them to have the scooters available at bus stops, light rail stations, and low-income neighborhoods. Uh, sounds like a good idea, but there's no requirement. It's just an ask. Um, they've also asked that you don't block, you know, right-of-way and, and places, you know, basically they want to make it so, so you can get on and off of public transportation and not be impeded. But it's a pretty lightweight set of rules, if you ask me.
0: Yeah, and for those of you that weren't around downtown during Scooter um, you know, these are dockless scooters, so it's right. not like the old uh, bikes where you had to pull them out of a dock and things like that. It was, you basically just got on the scooter, um, used an app, and
1: you were off. Yeah, so pretty cool stuff. I think it costs $1 to unlock it and it's like 50 cents a mile or something like that. I don't remember. Uh, anyway, and if you're looking to make some money, you can make money by going around and picking these up and charging them, and I think it's like Five bucks per thing you charge. It seems pretty reasonable to go pick them up. Yeah. So it's not too bad if you're looking for a little extra
0: cash. Exactly. Next, uh, speaking of cash, Denver leads the U.S. in small business job growth in June 2018 and was number three for wage growth. That was
1: a smooth segue. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.
0: Um, So number one. We're number one, guys. We are number one for job growth. Uh, Number one for wage growth was Phoenix with a 5% wage growth, which is pretty amazing. So the uh, the wages in Phoenix are
1: rising like a phoenix. Well, uh but- hey let's move on. Uh so Denver there there is a Denver tech firm that's concerned about the tariffs. You may have heard a little bit about a trade war and some tariffs being applied uh to other countries goods sold in the US and there being some retaliatory tariffs put on uh US goods. Well, Sphero, which is the local company that makes those little BB8 robots, uh, they're worried about these tariffs impacting them.
0: Yeah. So uh, I think at this point, they're not taking any action, but I'm sure like a lot of other companies, they are ready to make some changes if tariffs go into effect.
1: And Basically, basically the story's summary is, hey, if if tariffs get applied to their stuff, they're going to have to move manufacturing overseas as well. That, that's kind of what the summary of it was, I think. Uh, next, in the ongoing saga of the
0: Amazon HQ2, uh, there was a s- survey done by GeekWire and Denver ranked number four in terms of uh, the, where people want to go for the HQ2. So this was uh, GeekWire readers. They surveyed them, and the those readers said, hey, you know, we would rather go to uh, Raleigh, Raleigh, Raleigh yeah. um, uh, Atlanta or Austin before we go to dinner."
1: Yeah, our old nemesis Austin, number three on the list.
0: Yeah. I think it's not surprising. I had heard that. Um, the D.C. area and Atlanta were the highest on the list in terms of what Amazon was thinking. Of course, that's rumor again. So not surprising that Atlanta was on there.
1: Uh, we will have to see where it actually ends up. Uh, and it sounds like maybe we're going to hear something relatively soon. There's some rumors out there that this might not be too far off in the future. Of course, we will be late breaking the Sunday following this news coming out. We'll cover it for you. And and uh, that Monday morning on your drive to work, you can listen to where Amazon's going to be. Exactly. Uh, Next, uh, we had some some real big news that uh, Colorado is going to be the Silicon Valley for blockchain technology, says leader of National Cybersecurity Center, Vance Brown.
0: Yeah. So you guys have probably heard uh, us talk about Vance Brown and the things that they're doing at the National Cybersecurity Center around uh, blockchain. Uh, It still is not exactly clear to me why the National Cybersecurity Center is so concerned with blockchain uh, I do know that you need to have security if you are going to be doing blockchain applications, but you need to have security with lots of other things too.
1: Uh, so I'm going to buy a parrot. I'm going to teach it only to say blockchain. <laughs> and I'm going to leave it here in this room. <laughs> Polly, want a blockchain? <laughs>
0: blockchain. <laughs> uh, also last week, Governor Higginlooper appointed 12 people to the council for the advancement of blockchain technology.
1: So we have a council and how many years experience do they each have in blockchain? If it's not uh, 10 years, they can't be on the council.
0: Well, however much experience that they have, um, it is, uh, it is non-repudiated so you, it's <laughs> gu-
1: guaranteed their experience is indeed. exactly what it is. <laughs> however, somebody also inserted goat sea into the middle of the blockchain. <laughs> so right. as, as you look up the, these facts, you also have to see that.
0: <laughs> uh, good stuff, Rob. Good stuff. Uh, next, Google announced $2.8 million in grants for office space um, in the and also for Boulder Tech Education. So we had talked a little bit about some of this stuff previously, you know, Google opened a big campus up in Boulder, uh, but they announced um, in addition to what previously, which was donating some money to the some of the school districts up there, they're also uh, donating some office space for the National Center for Women in Information Technology, which is pretty cool. Um, and they're also giving a 1.5 million dollar grant to CU's uh, PHET interactive simulations project, which is uh, providing interactive math and science
1: simulations. Sounds neat. pretty cool. Yeah. Well, very very cool that Google's coming to town and they're bringing some some uh, charitable contributions with them. Exactly. Let's talk about uh, Ping Identity and, and what they've done in the last week or so. Who? So Ping Identity, which is the number one cybersecurity firm in all of the world, uh, just announced that they acquired Elastic Beam, which is an API security firm. Um, This has been really fun. It's been kind of brewing uh, a big part of my job for the last couple months as I I am the, the CISO over at Ping. Uh, Elastic Beam basically protects APIs and and looks at all the traffic going to them, looking for anomalous and malicious behavior, Uh, and it's going to be rolled into the ping product line and using kind of the intelligence you get from that to enrich the other stuff that we do as well.
0: Nice. That sounds pretty cool.
1: It is very cool. So that's that's a big announcement. Another local company, SecureSet, made another announcement of their own. So SecureSet Academy, um, you know, they have, what, three different campuses. Denver, Colorado Springs, and somewhere in Florida, remind me, um, Tampa. Tampa. In Tampa, where they have their, their campuses, they just acquired a company called HackEd or Hacked. It's Hacked with a capital E. We're going to call it HackEd for the sake of uh, making this awkward. Uh, they acquired HackEd uh, in D.C., and it's going to be their fourth campus. The founder of that organization, John Ferris, is going to be stay on as the campus director uh, and really just an opportunity for them to have a good presence in, you know, obviously, one of the most um, cybersecurity aware regions of the country.
0: Yeah. So congratulations to SecureSet on their continued expansion. And finally, we had a blog post this week from IntelliSecure uh, entitled The Economics of Data and Information. Um really think that this blog post was not aimed at, uh, at us. I think maybe aimed at some, uh, folks that are not nearly as, uh, cybersecurity literate, I will say. So the, the blog post is talking about data and information, the difference between the two. And then the fact that it is important that we should protect it.
1: And it is important. And I I say the way, when I read this, it, it looks to me like the kind of thing you put out there. So that folks who are looking into, you know, what is, how do I do data security? We'll find this and kind of get educated. So if you know anyone who might be interested in uh, getting into uh, data protection, data security, this would be a good primer, primer, whatever you want to call it. Primer for, for that. Yeah. I guess we do have one more newsy type thing. Uh, as a reminder, the CISO of the Year award is, uh, the nominations, excuse me, are open right now. So this is the time for you to go get uh, your, your favorite CISO the most handsome CISO, most beautiful CISO. Excuse me, of course, that could be a man or a woman. Either of those words can apply to any of them. Uh, And go ahead and apply out to that. And we're looking forward to the APEX Awards in November, October, I think November, um, having a a good showing of of lots of security leaders out there.
0: Vote early, vote often.
1: You got it. So that takes us to our
0: Slack message of the week. And this week, uh, we would like to congratulate Rishi Singh, uh, who brought to light the fact that Office 365 had an undocumented
1: API for uh, forensic log yeah. searches? Yeah, so this is actually the Slack message of the two weeks since we took a week off, and this was—it's uh, funny. This news, when when he announced it, it was brand new. Wow, look at there's this awesome API to get our uh, forensic data out of Office 365, and then the news as of what Friday or Thursday of this week was. Actually, Microsoft has now turned off that API and it's no longer available. So, yeah, so sorry. So sorry.
0: Yeah, it was a good discussion around it. Yeah. it sounded like some people were enjoying it, investigating it. Yeah. Um, but for whatever reason, Microsoft decided that they were not going to leave it out there now that people knew about it.
1: Rishi's done a good job also with a lot of conversation in the last couple of weeks about privacy regulations, you know. As a Colorado focused show, we, we haven't talked about California's new privacy regulation that just passed, but we have a lot of good conversation in there and, and appreciate Rishi's feedback on that. So once again, congratulations to Rishi. He's going to get to pick something out of the Colorado Equal Security store and a huge thank you to Andre Gaeta, who is the sponsor of the Slack message of the week. Um, we appreciate Andre continuing this and you know helping us engage the community in these conversations.
0: So let's move on to events. We do have an event calendar Uh, So check that out for the latest events. And if you are someone planning an event, please check the calendar first so that you don't uh, schedule over
1: someone else. You remember a couple weeks ago when there was basically nothing happening the week of the fourth? This is the opposite of that. Yes. (laughs) Everyone's decided, okay, we had our time off. Let's get back to work. So there's, you know, an event every day. The ISSA Denver has their July meetings happening the 10th and the 11th. That's downtown. It's Boulder the Tuesday, the 10th in the afternoon. Denver, Tuesday evening, and then DTC, Wednesday lunch.
0: Uh, on the 11th also, CTA is doing their CTA 101. So if you want to learn about CTA, go on check the, that out. On the 13th, SecureSet Set is doing a capture the flag event.
1: On the 17th, CSA is doing their July meeting. On the 17th and 18th, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their meetings. They have their dinner on the 17th and their lunch on the 18th. Also on the 18th, Densec is doing their monthly meetup. On the 17th, SecureSet is doing one of their career conversations with Allison Lawrence Daly. Uh, Also on the
0: 19th, um, ISC Squared is doing a meeting about data protection, industry practices
1: to identify and protect sensitive information. Sounds like they should hook up with IntelliSecure for that. Maybe they should. On the 21st, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing one of their Saturday mini seminars. And then finally, on the 23rd, the National Cybersecurity Center is doing the AFA, uh, so that's Air Force Academy Cyber Camp. Yeah, it's, a so. week, it's actually a week-long camp. It's, it starts the 23rd, but it goes that whole week. So if you have any kids that want to get involved, that's your opportunity. With that, why don't we jump over to jobs? We have some awesome jobs here from Ping Identity. There is a director of IT position. If you know someone who wants to help run all of networking, telecommunications, depth stock support, system administration for a quickly growing tech company here in town. This is a great opportunity for them. Similarly at Ping, we have a site reliability engineer focused on security operations. So if you're a cloud guru who wants to help forward the security program, this is your opportunity.
0: Kaiser Permanente is looking for an executive director of cyber risk defense and also deputy CISO. So this, this yeah go ahead. So this is a very high level
1: position there. Uh, running among other things, their security operations and taking the place of Christine Vanderpool. Christine, our friend who has who has left us in Colorado, she's moved to Florida.
0: Yes. Good luck, uh, Christine, in Florida.
1: And and she's uh, going to enjoy the beach. Good good for her. Uh, PDC Energy is hiring a director of information security.
0: Jacobs Entertainment, which is a casino company, uh, is hiring a corporate IT security manager.
1: I assume this comes with free poker chips. Uh, yes. Th- that must have been in the job description. Yeah. Uh, GB Protect is hiring a senior information security analyst. The Department of Homeland Security is hiring an IT specialist
0: for InfoSec. Centura Health is hiring a security analyst. Comcast is hiring a security engineer for incident response. Gaming Labs is hiring a security
1: specialist entry level.
0: Yeah, and there are actually a couple of positions for Gaming Labs. There's an entry level security specialist and a sort of regular security specialist. Hmm. actually looked like uh, some interesting work going on there. What do uh, they do there? Kind of is it gaming uh, like video games? Or? So some of it was um, uh, like uh, gambling. Okay, uh, and there was another uh, vertical that they had healthcare, maybe also. Very cool. Yeah, uh, definitely check that
1: one out. Uh, CU Boulder is looking for an incident response analyst, and it looks like Overwatch ID is still looking to hire some Java software engineers, uh, and a C plus uh, plus software engineer. Awesome. All right. Well, that's the end of the news here. We, the next, uh, obviously we're going to go over our feature interview. We have Karen Worstel. Karen has an awesome, uh, background previous to her current role. She has been the CISO for, I mean, I'm going to get this wrong. I'll have the notes in front of me, but definitely she was a CISO for Microsoft. Um, she was the CISO for, uh, for one section of bank of America. She, several other really large organizations and she now lives here in Denver and she she shared some of her experience of leading very large organizations and and really uh, what she's doing now. Awesome. Well, good stuff. Look forward to it. All right. Alex, we'll see you in a couple weeks and we'll have a guest host in here with me next week. Sounds good. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks, Rob. This is Robert Wood, VP of Security at Alps Fund Services. This is Colorado Equal Security for Colorado Security Professionals by Colorado Security Professionals. This is Rob Reck and today I'm with Karen Worstel. Did I say that right, Karen? Yeah. yeah. Um, awesome. So, Karen, you have had an awesome career and I am looking forward to understanding how you um, developed into such a well-known security leader. But Before I do that, I want to understand a little bit about a recent trip you had through a kind of a hellscape of volcanic materials in, <laughs> in New Mexico. Talk to me about yeah. this trip you just yeah. got back from.
2: We um... I I really have to focus hard on trying to keep some balance in life. And on quite a spur of the moment, we decided to take a road trip out to Fence Lake, New Mexico, because my great-grandfather is buried out there. Oh, wow. And and, at least that's what we believed, right? And we weren't really sure. So we decided we just took off and put the dog in the back of the SUV and drove out to, (laughs) took took four days to do a big loop. Yeah, and saw amazing Colorado. Yeah, it's so beautiful, and um, and yeah, drove from Santa Fe to Albuquerque, and then took off across the volcanic landscape of northern New Mexico. I had no idea it was such a volcanic state.
1: Have you been to the Badlands in South Dakota?
2: It... Well, I've flown over them in a yeah. small plane, but I've never like drone th- driven. That's them that's enough.
1: like the the. That's what what, the way when you described it earlier kind of made me think of that area where it just everything's crusty and you can't imagine any life Being able to survive there.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there's an incredible it it was called the Malpais conservation district And uh, I really I just really recommend it if anybody, I mean, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a hooked on disasters Hmm. (laughs) kind of comes with the territory I guess but you know like like planning ahead for things and Volcanoes and tornadoes and all that kind of jazz, so I'm fascinated by you know m- major seismic events yeah and uh, and I the the volcanic fields that are down there remind me of a uh, big island of Hawaii. yeah, so it looks like well, what's now.
1: going on now in Hawaii it, right now, right with right, this right <laughs> i I saw a a news story that said, don't roast marshmallows over the lava. Apparently, that's a that's a common thing right now. I guess uh,
2: I like that was a public service announcement. that yeah. said, actually, don't really don't do that. And I was like, no kidding, really. But,
1: but now you got me wondering why not? Because if people because are doing it, it must it must not be moving that fast. They they feel safe doing it.
2: Some of it doesn't move very fast. In fact, uh, a few years ago, we went to visit the volcano state park. The uh, state park, anyway, on the Big Island. When mm-hmm. we went down there. And we found ourselves out in the middle of a lava field that was active. Yeah. And there were park rangers around that was they were allowing that. But literally we were walking across that black crust and then you would see a glow like through a crack down below you and I'm like, Are you sure this is really really a good idea? It's very hot. I mean like what, two thousand degrees or something. Well, as soon as you fall
1: through they won't let anybody else in there. (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, a French guy, a French guy did fall. He fell in right, so the then, day before. Oh, and they let you right back and in anyway? so we're like in there anyway. Oh my like, goodness. So I don't know. Maybe, well,
1: maybe you shouldn't go if the French guy it's falls in. It's pretty there. hot. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't sound like the best.
2: The worst part was when it started raining and the steam rose up, and then it was really tough. Huh. <laughs> like, that's why I, I ended up, like literally, I made the decision not to um, wear contacts or eyeglasses anymore because I couldn't, like virtually couldn't see anything with the steam all around us. yeah.
1: Well, let's uh, let's get a little bit into your biography. Okay. For, start me off. Where, where were you born? Where you grow up?
2: I grew up in Tacoma, Washington. Okay. Yep. Just about forty-five miles south of Seattle.
1: Yeah, and it, and it looks like just from doing a cursory look at your LinkedIn, your first studying wasn't necessarily starting on, secu- on computer security. So no. No. T- how, how did you How, how did you get uh, What did you do right after school?
2: Uh, what did I do right after college? Um, after, after high school. After high school. Yeah. Did you after go to high college Straight to the University of Washington. Okay. Um, I uh, majored. I kind of planned on a double major.
1: Yeah.
2: In performance in music.
1: Okay.
2: And in chemistry. Hmm. Um, the music was for me. The chemistry was for my father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, about you know I I like to tell this story because partway through my undergraduate I mean I worked extremely. Hard. I'm, I'm kind of I'm a 95% creative brain person hmm. not the analytical side yeah so much and uh, for me to start college I, I started thinking I was gonna be doing music and I'd get that science piece done and man it was tough for me hmm. I worked ex- I worked so much harder than it seemed like to me than my friends yeah to get the same kind of grades and so I went back to my dad and I said hey I could be five beta Kappa if I did humanities <laughs> and social sciences. I could really, you know, pull off an amazing grade point. And he goes, yeah. "Who would pay for school?" <laughs> Just like that. And I was like, "Oh, I see." <laughs> so I stayed, and I ended up getting—I um, ended up dropping my music actually because I couldn't keep up with both. Yeah. And I finished uh, a degree in biology and a degree in chemistry. <laughs>
1: Your dad, your dad's quote is absolutely hilarious. Who would pay for school? I gotta, gotta remember that in ten years when <laughs> my, when one of my kids, tries to do that to me. It oh. was,
2: it was hard at the time. I kind of resented it. How, in, but looking back on it, it was one of the best things ever. Hmm. Because I literally had to train a very creative mind, to think logically, hmm. linearly, you know. And to do that kind of work and it's turned out to be a great asset for me I think later in my professional career because I I'm I'm killer at problem-solving and I think that's partly because the training on the analytical side combined with the creative thinking has really helped
1: yeah so you graduated with I think you said biology and chemistry Mm -hmm. and what did you do after graduation
2: I worked as a research assistant in doing research on blood proteins for hemophilia. I and can't,
1: I can't ask very many intelligent questions about that.
2: <laughs> so, um, the, the, basically what that involved, um, at the, uh, just a kind of a spoiler alert. This might be a little bit hard for some people to hear, but I would go down to the slaughterhouse on Monday yeah. and I had to collect 40 liters of blood for our, for us to run our, you know, labs. Yeah. When you say collect,
1: you don't mean grab a bucket that's already waiting for you. Is that is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How how do you collect uh, forty liters? You put of on
2: bl- a lot of rain gear. Okay. And you wait for them. And
1: th- so this this Karen, this is the story we should have led with.
2: This <laughs> <laughs> way more interesting than New Mexico.
1: Karen, tell <laughs> me about the day that you were covered in blood, having to to run from uh, authorities. Now, maybe you didn't have to run from the authorities in this case, though.
2: Well, we had we had. Um, I always worried a little bit because that little UW truck, the little pickup truck that we drove down to the slaughterhouse in yeah. Kent Valley was pretty small, and we had five 40-liter 40, 40 containers of blood in the back.
1: Oof. it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You don't want one of those to tip over on the freeway.
1: So was, was the... Uh, <laughs> why in the world would you stop doing this career? This sounds like just a, a lot of fun.
2: It was. It was amazing, actually. It was the... The group that I was with, <clears throat> the lab that I was with there, was making huge strides in in finding treatments for children who had hemophilia of certain types. Hmm. So it was really important work. Yeah. And we were getting to do protein. So we were doing protein sequencing with state-of-the-art protein sequencing in the University of Washington Medical School at that time. Um, and then I had found out I was going to have my daughter, hmm. and I tried going back to work when there wasn't, you know, there wasn't any family medical leave act, right? And or EEO, or that kind of jazz, and so um, I tried going back to work when she was six weeks old, and it was so tough, hmm. and I worked with a ton of toxic stuff, plus working with blood. Now, people know a lot more about the kinds of things that are contagious and communicable. Then, we worried about hepatitis hmm. uh, cuz we did work with human blood sometimes but uh yeah it was i got kind of freaked out about all of the communicable stuff and some of it i had caught so <laughs> from you know the uh, bovine blood yeah yeah so it was um i i had to take a break i couldn't go back i couldn't keep up with the work routine hmm. I, you know i had my hats off to anybody who goes back with an infant but 6 weeks was kind of early yeah and uh, so I ended up taking about five years off. And by the time I was looking, t- I, I realized I really needed to go back and get another job, really needed it. Um, they were had moved I'm on from uh, sequencing proteins to sequencing DNA. Hmm. I mean, I was so obsolete yeah. in five years. And um, I found myself a mom of two toddlers, and I had about $13 in my pocket to last for two weeks, and I needed to figure out what I was gonna do with my life, and I, my brother came over to my house and he brought a TRS-80 computer with a serial number of six, which we still have, and he laid it out across the table in in the kitchen. I mean, it took up the whole table, and he said, sister, you need to learn to code. And I started, I I was terrified of it. I was pretty sure if I put my fingers on the keyboard and did something wrong, it would smoke. Mm. But um, I started working on that, and I found out I was really good at coding. And when PLU opened up a computer science department, and they-
1: PLU is specifically
2: Lutheran University uh, in Tacoma, when they advertised for a um, computer science department, and they wanted students, I said, well, I'll try, you know? Yeah. I mean, why not? And I got in. Yeah. And two years later, I had my master's degree in computer science.
1: That's amazing. And you did this with two toddlers, and <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, and that's pretty rough. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, I have, I, it, yeah, I mean, it's a good thing and a bad thing to be able to motor through like whatever you gotta tough your way through.
3: Yeah.
2: And then worry about the house burning down later, but yeah, it, it's, uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of, I don't recommend it but it's what needed to be done
1: at the time. And yeah. So you graduated um, with a master's in computer science. Yep. You have an undergrad and a couple different science degrees, biology and chemistry. What did you do with those degrees? What was your first job out of out of uh, your master's?
2: I got hired by the Boeing company yeah. to work on their black projects doing security for- What's a
1: black project?
2: The, you know, the secret squirrel.
1: Secret, secret service, yeah. Mm-hmm. I got you, Secret, top secret yeah. stuff, yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. So they needed people. So tell us
1: all about that.
2: though <laughs> <laughs> so they were, you know, they were things that go boom and things that yeah. fly high and do secret stuff and, yeah. Yeah. Actually, one of them was the. Um, now it's the F twenty two. Another
1: one was the. B-2. What were you doing on those projects?
2: I was a security administrator, so it's kind of like the, the very early precursor to what a chief information security officer does now. You run around trying to get everybody to do the right thing.
1: Right. You, you kind of take the requirements and figure out how to make the people do the requirements, basically?
2: Right, and the requirements are very prescriptive in that environment, right? Yeah. And, and everything was done by air gap.
1: But now we're talking like late 80s, early 90s. 90s. Mm-hmm. so Pre, the,
2: Pre-internet.
1: So the requirements, I, I mean, I, you tell me. I, my guess would be that there's not a lot defined yet, is there?
2: It had to do a lot with uh, uh, the way that information was contained. Hmm. So whether it was, I mean, we had to do the physical security as well as the digital.
4: Yeah.
1: Uh,
2: but also making sure, like, that stuff didn't data leakage was an I- issue.
1: Isolation of environments, yeah. basically.
2: Isolation of environments, but making sure the data leakage, because we still had, you, you know, like insider insider
1: threat. Basically, are <laughs> talking about. <laughs>
2: yeah. Five and yeah. a
1: half inch. Floppy disks, yeah,
2: five yeah. and a half inch. Yeah. And, well, no, ten megabyte Burnley drives.
1: What was the What was the <laughs> eight, weren't they the eight inch floppy disks? I I never those actually
2: were real, those were for like the Wang word processor. I never I
1: never saw one, but I've heard them. Yeah. I've heard of those. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you, when you're looking in in the the late eighties, early nineties, I assume that you know there was there was these requirements, that you're probably having to figure out a lot of this on on the fly too, Well, right?
2: yeah, and some of it had like the government it would come in and say, you've got to do these things. I'll give you an example, one of them was that we had to review all the log files every night.
1: Okay. Every
2: day, 20, every 24 hours, the log files had to be reviewed in order to look for um, you know, sus- suspicious behavior. Yeah. And uh, so I diligently took that requirement into the guys who ran our cyber machines. What's a cyber, a cyber machine? Was, um, I'm trying to think of what the equivalent of that might be, but it, it was it was a scientific processing machine, sort of probably like a uh, I don't, like a deck, yeah. right? Um, and uh, it had a 60 what is it? 60 megabyte drives, something like that. That's it was huge, like yeah. huge it was then. Huge. Yep. Um But I came into the guys and I told them, I said, "You're gonna have." To, it was classified environment. You're gonna have to print out these logs and review them every night. I mean, that's the that's the rule.
4: That's the rule. And yeah.
2: like. You can't mean that and I said no I mean that Mm -hmm. (laughs) so the next morning when I came into my office is the printout of the log that's about four feet high right sitting all every page stamped classified yeah every single so I had to do you know I learned my lesson I learned but you know that's still something that people deal with in some environments even now. Like,
1: we still print out all our logs, yeah.
2: <laughs> You're supposed to do the log <laughs> review, isn't that the requirement still? It, it is. Still comes PCI. In. And, you have yeah. to do. You have to review the logs, and it's. I, I'll never forget. I always come back to that cyber example, going, yeah. Let us show you how that
1: looks. So nine years. I I, I can only imagine that you know it looked like 1987 to to 96 things changed a lot during those nine years you know for to to your point at the beginning there is no internet at the end the you know the it's the dot-com boom yeah can you can you get any stories about that we can share
2: well uh, yeah part of so I got moved I moved from the um, from the government classified arena up to start something brand new because there was no commercial computer security program yeah And they had me move into the research and technology organization, and I became the co-chair at NIST uh, as Boeing's contribution to the security architecture group for OSI for the Hmm. Open Systems Interconnect. Yeah. Because we, at the time, you know, XOpen, NIST, we were all working on what was distributed computing going to look like. So back in my lab where we were doing the security work, research work. We were running uh, DCE, we were running CORBA, we were running the very early precursors of NT. Whatever we could, whatever, uh, we were running a ring network. Mm -hmm. So whatever the early precursors were um, for networking, we were running all of them. And we were trying to develop the security models for those, which was amazingly, amazingly fun. Yeah. And um, I, I went to, I was on a, a few ANSI groups, subgroups, ANSI being the American National Standards Institute. Institute, yeah and I remember there was a meeting one time with just three of us there and we were trying to figure out how to make systems that didn't have uh, trust, you know, talk to each other so they could exchange information. And I remember we were sitting around the table going, how are we going to make this work? And it's says, oh, wait, there's this way to do a three-way handshake. And it's like a... Some guy it's named like Diffie and some guy like, named Hellman put yeah, it together, right? and it's called Kerberos.
3: Let's look at that, oh, you, you know?
2: I mean, literally, we were putting that together. We were writing the security for yeah. email. Yeah, And on the fly. yeah, uh, Making it up. Yeah. But, but the models became kind of... Uh, they were the precursors because at some point, it stopped being a collaborative... Uh, organic standards process and some really large companies came in and said you uh, uh, there was an ex open meeting and at the plenary the company well-known company from Redmond yeah. came in and said you know we're not gonna play this game you guys can keep doing your de jure standards all you want we're gonna make the de facto standard happen." Mm. and it was born um, and we went from there yeah the world, the world pivoted at that moment, hmm. unknown to a lot of us. So, um, we so we were working on that, and then um, so it was all this emerging, you know, emerging technology that we were trying to figure out as it came out. One of my coworkers, Dan Schnackenberg, he um, I think it was it like 1992, we came out with um, or and Microsoft came out with a new version of Excel.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: I think it was ninety ninety two or ninety three and it had something in it and dan came it had a new piece of code in it and dan came into my office and he goes have you seen this and we i was like what he goes watch this and he and so he opens up excel and there's a macro right there's executable code inside inside excel and we're flipping out like we run the whole company financials on excel yeah if if this was corrupted i mean it, it executes on open yeah what does that mean like we're we're having this, you know, what I call a paper bag moment. Yeah. <laughs> right? And we went into management and we said, You have to see this. Like, this just happened. Yeah. And we want to make sure you're aware of this because it could have some big implications. And they listened and then they, they, they <laughs> said, You people need to get a life. <laughs> well,
1: they, they say that to us still, don't they, Karen? Yeah. I, I'm used to it after all <laughs> this time, right? That was the first I expect time. I huh? it.
2: That was the first time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Uh, Cool. You got to have such a good experience in pivotal years of the development of the Mm -hmm. internet and standards. Uh, So you were at um, Boeing through about 96. Mm -hmm. What what did you do next after that?
2: I had a a very brief interlude at Union Carbide. Found out, you know, sometimes we make great choices and sometimes we don't. But that was a great career move for me. And then from there, I went to um, Stanford Research Institute Hmm. International in Menlo Park. Yeah. And I was hired in to be the research director for something called the I4, the International Information Integrity Institute. I mm. think it's still around somewhere. Um, it was bought, I think, by PwC or KPMG several years ago to be their um, security, their premier security program. Mm. We had the top 75 75 cybersecurity executives in the world. Hmm. Who met three times a year at locations all over the world hmm. and for four days to talk about emerging trends? And I was their research director. Wow. So, That's a pretty awesome exposure. Unbelievable. And I got to hear, but I got to hear what they were doing and yeah. I got to hear what their issues were. So it they were was, all freaking
1: out about macros in Excel. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it was by then we had the internet. The internet was. Like the the power yeah. of the internet was really being um, understood, and everybody was talking about things like EDI, yeah. how to do electronic data interchange, how mm-hmm. to do commerce, what to do with the environment that we assumed would, was always going to be in a secure bubble, and now it's connected to everything. Right? How do we control the connections to the, to the internet? Yeah. How, I mean, people were doing when people were constantly doing lines. They were. Calling the phone company, and you could get the phone company to install a line anywhere, so that uh, in, in a in a commercial enterprise, yeah. so that people could have internet capability yeah. in their office. Yeah, yeah controlling stuff like that. I mean, we it was it was still the thing that we have to deal with now to some extent as we look at emerging technology and all the new things that are coming out, right? Like self-driving cars and mm-hmm. all the all the embedded. Um, you know security related stuff in iot yeah yeah. iot everything um as we're trying to keep up with all that it was the same same kind of feeling yeah like what (laughs) oh We, you know we need to do something
1: about so that. you you had this the 75 top security leaders in the world mm-hmm. and you were all getting together with the Illuminati three yeah. times a year yeah. and the, the Gettys making making the decisions that would rule us all mm-hmm. any any especially interesting anecdotes or stories you can talk tell okay. out of that we
2: had one uh, one of our one of our clients was Royal Dutch Shell okay. out of the Netherlands and if you remember the Bosnian uh, crisis mm-hmm. uh, The kosovo crisis if you could summarize for those younger
1: than me on the listening so
2: we had a war in the balkan states Mm -hmm. and uh and it was the beginning of cyber it was kind of the beginning of cyber warfare Hmm. and i don't remember
1: any cyber element to this at all so this is new to me
2: yeah they were launching um they were launching attacks against royal dutch shell and they were you know so people were like wondering Am I going to be a target? Hmm. So major, major companies who had a presence were perceived to have a presence in the region. Yeah, we're starting to see the impact to their internal systems, and so they commissioned us to write a research report, and we called it hacktivism, hmm. which I did. You we, guys coin the we phrase. Coined the phrase hacktivism. well, well done. It's a good and, one. And asked, is your you know is your company a target? And yeah. we tried to characterize for people. This is stuff you should be concerned about, and this is stuff you should not be concerned about. I mean, this is, we called, you know, website defacement basically was cow tipping. Yeah. And um, one of the things that happened along that same timeline was the World Trade Organization riots in Seattle happened. Mm. And a number of groups were planning their, um, their criminal activity using the Internet. When we were doing our research, we found them, and we were like monitoring them, and they were monitoring us, monitoring them, and we were monitoring them, monitoring us, monitoring them, we were watching the graphs and everything go back and forth, and um, we ended up incorporating some of that into the report, Mm. and then we gave a private report to all of our members. Well, later on, you know, later on it became evident that we knew something about the attacks before they really happened, and they they turned out to be fairly serious. Mm. And uh, the physical damage, destruction in downtown Seattle, and um so we got called on the carpets. like when did you know and who did right, you tell you know, and, yeah. yeah all that kind of stuff
1: so was there uh, I, I assume was there, was there le- lessons that came out of that that you've taken with you did you guys do the right thing have you have you changed the way you would do it if you know if you had to do it again
2: i think i think ethics are are always a huge huge piece of what we do and at the time my mentor was don parker um, at sRI and he he actually had some very very good rules in place that's that's said you know um, we could not engage in any way, for example, in social engineering hmm. there was n- we were not allowed to do anything that would be deceptive hmm. to another party in order to gain a result yeah and uh, uh, you know some other guidelines like that so I think it helped keep us um, from being tempted to go over,
3: yeah.
2: uh, over the boundaries. And, and it, there were no real boundaries. Like, there were no rules, and there were no. At the time, I don't think we had ISE squared yet. I don't think we had, you know, these groups that were starting to create codes of practice. Yeah. The, the, the I4 group was the one that started what eventually became ISO 27000, but mm-hmm. that was called originally the Code of Practice. Mm-hmm. And, and so this was all a really, it was all frontier.
1: Really. Yeah, well, that's great. Yeah, it was fun. So you were you were there for just a year or two? Sri,
2: I was at Sri. Well, Sri. So what happened at Sri was we we had the i four and we had the i four until two thousand and one. Okay. When we sold when we sold it, so, but it went through it. It went through an iteration when Sri created a startup company, and they spun us out and they named us Atomic Tangerine.
1: Okay. <laughs> and what was that about?
2: Um. It was during uh, the days of, uh, uh, well, some of these companies are still around, but like Razorfish, companies that were doing venture consulting. Mm. We started off actually not as a cybersecurity company, but as a venture consulting company. Mm. So um, SRI being kind of the heartbeat of the think tank in um, Silicon Valley, people would come to us with new ventures, and we would, you know, we would... advise them, consult with them, help them, you know, craft them into something that could be really successful.
1: Now, it looks like, I see on the timeline, 99 to 2001, you're doing that. 99 sounds like a great time to be doing that. 2001 sounds like a terrible time to be doing that.
2: Well, 2000, (laughs) yeah, and the bubble started really disintegrating, you know, in about 2000. Yeah, exactly. And um, at that time, one of our investors was, they were Greek shipping tycoons, and we were on their yacht in the Greek islands, and I'll never forget, our CFO is looking at his newspaper going, uh, we have to get back. <laughs> it was just not a good time. Wow. But, um,
1: did Did, yeah. did the uh, dot-com burst, kind of also burst the Atomic Tangerine, or is that... Yeah, you know, I see you, you you looks like you stopped working there in two thousand and one. Is that we sold related? It. Sold we it.
2: sold it um, yeah. I actually got made the CEO of the company. Yeah. Um, in order to get it sold. Okay. As a security peer play. Yeah. And that's and so that's what I did for
1: and who who did you end up selling to? Nine months.
2: Redleaf Ventures was the name of the company right. in Pittsburgh.
1: Okay. And then next stop, a big bank, huh?
2: Well, yeah, I took. Um, there was a little bit of a, a little bit of a family crisis in the middle.
3: Okay.
2: I stopped. Uh, the let's see. I sold the paper. I I signed the papers, to sell, Atomic Tangerine on November fifth. And at the time, my father was at home with us, and he was on hospice. Yeah. So he passed away five days later. Mm. And, so we took some time. Like I was like. I don't know what I'm going to do next. I did not make a place for myself in the new company yeah. on purpose um, because of the things that were happening in my life, and so everybody that worked for me got a job, yeah. and I so and I didn't, I didn't,
4: <clears throat>
2: and because I didn't want one, and um, and so then I was like, oh, what am I going to do now? And so I on January second, I sent out letters to all my contacts, and I said, hey, I would love, I have my mom living with me now, circumstances have really changed, I would love it if I could work with some of you on a consulting basis,
4: mm-hmm.
2: and I got a reply back from Bank of America the next day, and I was hired by that afternoon.
1: So you were part I was doing a consulting, oh, as an employee? Yeah. So you want to do consulting, but they n- none of so that? She
2: goes, she goes, actually, would you work for me? And I'm like, "Yeah." Uh, are you serious? I said, I can't. You're in Charlotte. I'm in Puget Sound. I yeah. can't travel. Um, literally, I can't travel. I've got full-time responsibility for my mother, yeah. who had Alzheimer's at the time. So,
1: but it looks like you started there as uh, basically heading their security and business continuity for their investment banking.
2: Is that yeah, right? I did. Yeah, global commercial investment bank, asset management, and treasury.
1: Yeah. So I mean, that's a pretty big job to do remotely. You know, know. when you're looking for a little contract gig.
2: <laughs> I know. Yeah. No, it was a great. It was. It was amazing for me.
1: Yeah. So what level? of maturity did someone like Bank of America have back in the 2002 time phrase they it was were quite a while back
2: very they had a very well established yeah program huh. very very um, yeah very no very mature um business continuity for for Bank of America they were the ones who recovered wall Street hmm. if it, it was Bank of America you know bony failed in the uh, Bank of New York failed in the and they so they couldn't clear any transactions hmm. From the trading floor anywhere um and bank of america failed over to failed over instantly to their trading floor in san francisco and they were able to handle the capacity of all of the trading operations and 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 so their 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 team was it was an honor and a privilege for me to be their leader i learned so much from the team that i had working for me there yeah And um, and we had so we did cybersecurity and business continuity for them, and uh,
1: yeah. Yes. So you, I mean, you. It looks like you don't ever work for little tiny companies. You were there for (laughs) a year or so, and then and then you went to this little little uh, wireless company, uh, AT&T, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I can't. I mean, the good news is, in my career, I I always got recruited to the next thing. Hmm. And Bank of America, what has gone through a, a, a they they were consolidating. So if you were a certain band level uh, in the organization, they wanted you in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. That wasn't going to be a possibility for me. So um, so I left Bank of America, but I went straight to AT&T Wireless, and,
1: and you were I, the CISO there. It looks like
2: yep, and VP of IT risk management.
1: Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. did, now I see. Was it Singular or AT and see both names on here because I know I know they bought them at some point. Where, right. Where, where right. AT and T
2: Wireless. AT and T Wireless was. Uh, it's a very interesting story happened at AT and T Wireless, but uh, they they were bought by Singular um, about a year after I well a little more than a year after I got. Okay.
1: That. So you started off with AT&T and then you went and it became Singular. Right. And then somewhere along the road, didn't it become AT&T again?
2: Yeah, it, yeah. Somewhere
1: after you left, I'm guessing. Yeah,
2: yeah, AT&T, AT, the big AT&T bought Singular. Yeah. Singular was actually a joint venture between Southwest Bell and Bell South. Okay. And then they sold it off to uh, AT&T. Yeah. Part, part of that was AT&T's intention to keep its brand, the blue Death Star brand. Yeah. Yeah, that brand is valuable. Sure it is. So, for so sure. that was, that was all part of that movement. Yeah. If you notice, singular quit having the little, little spinny thing uh, logo and went to the blue star, hmm. the blue Death Star.
1: So you, you stayed up in the, the Washington Puget Sound area throughout all this, right? You, you didn't relocate for any of these.
2: I relocated for Union Carbide and went to Houston. Okay. Was in Houston for four years, and then I joined SRI. SRI had an office in Houston. Okay. But then I. That's a managed- terrible
1: place to relocate to.
2: <laughs> you know, I've learned my lesson because I said at one point, the one place I will never live is Houston. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, it's yeah. the only other place I ever lived besides that's pretty, Colorado. <laughs> that's a pretty
1: pretty good uh, motto to have, I think. Um, so then, you know, there's another big company up in the, in the Seattle area, right, right, that you ended up finding your way over to. Can you tell a story right. about, about getting over to Microsoft?
2: Sure. Um, after the singular, the singular um, merger or uh, acquisition Wanted us to relocate to. Actually, I was supposed to start work in Bothell on Monday, Mm -hmm. fly to Atlanta for work Tuesday through Thursday, and then fly back home. And I was like, I actually have another elder at home, (laughs) (laughs) so I I had to make a choice to stay. Yeah. Yeah. That was so, and and uh, and so at the same time, I think in all that uncertainty. About whether we were going to, during the acquisition, you never know sometimes if you're actually going to go with a new company or you're not. And,
4: mm-hmm.
2: and in that period of time, Microsoft recruited me to yeah. come on board.
1: So you were the CISO for Microsoft. I was. Yeah. And yeah. now, you weren't the first CISO for Microsoft, were you? I assumed that there, was no, there were that. No, there were several others, yeah. I think, before that. Yeah. Oh. And I it, was
2: the last. <laughs> I was the last until Brett Arsenault. Yeah. and And Brett has that title now.
1: So 2005, 2006 time frame. This is a little bit after they kind of, you know, famously took up the security cause, right? Was that 2002, 2003? That yeah, they... it was
2: early. Uh, yeah, around 2000. Okay. And Howard Schmidt was there. Yeah. Right. He was really the the instigator of that.
1: So I'd love to hear. Were you doing product side stuff or all corporate security or? My kind job of was
2: sort of thirds. I had um, so I was IT. I was responsible for all of. The security of Microsoft's internal systems, mm-hmm. and I was responsible for dogfooding their new releases of Windows. Sure. Um, and giving them feedback, product feedback. Okay. And then uh, another third of my job was to um, interface with all the all the customers hmm. and talk to them about security and and do the you know executive roundtables and that kind of jazz.
1: Yeah. So, w- mm-hmm. what was it like to work for Microsoft? They were, you know, at, at that time, still the biggest, biggest folks out there in that two thousand five. They
2: were, and from. I, you know, I was really—I um, have to say—I had a lot of friends who questioned me going there. Hmm. Um, uh, feelings about Microsoft were mixed, right? Yeah, sure. Evil uh, empire
1: is sometimes thrown evil around. The empire
2: was, yeah, and and I really believed, based on what I could see, that Microsoft had. The potential for that they honestly could have solved the security problem hmm. they really I mean end to end
4: back, they back had, then they had they owned the whole they, they owned it. Yeah.
2: they owned the network they owned the endpoint they owned the server
3: yeah browser. Um, they had hmm.
2: they had the uh, browser they had MSN they had the internet property yeah I mean they had so much potential
4: yeah to
2: f- to make something unbelievably good and I was excited about that yeah. really excited about that um, six months into my job my first and only meeting with well I had a meeting with Ray Ozzy um, when he wanted to bring in a, um, a peer-to-peer sharing product from his company he was he, that was acquired by Microsoft and they wanted to integrate that with office Kay. created a blasted a gigantic security hole through through everything, um, yeah. we had to go tell him that that wasn't gonna be acceptable. That yeah. wasn't a really easy meeting. And then and then I had a meeting with Bill Gates and it was my only one while I was there, which uh, Craig Mundy and Bill was Gates. He
1: still, was he still CEO at the time? Or yeah. He, okay. Yeah.
2: And he's sitting where you're sitting, across yeah. the table from me. I'm sitting here, Craig Mundy's right there, the head of product division for Windows Security is over here, um, right next to us. And then behind me is every single product manager For the company, because what I am there to tell him is you made a promise to the world on the stage at RSA that you were going to provide single sign-on across Microsoft's platforms, and we're here to tell you that you're going to fail. Wow. And the reason you're going to fail is the following things are not in place, and in order to turn the ship around, the following things have to change.
1: Hmm. How did that Six months into my
2: job, that was...
1: (laughs) How did that meeting go? How did he take it?
2: Well, I think I had an out-of-body experience. In the t- I mean, I was like, I, it was very hard yeah. for me to have that. I'm not proud of saying that, but, you know, people have some of those moments that are so difficult. Yeah. <clears throat> and I was a little bit terrified, to be honest. Yeah. I, I had a terrible case of stage fright. Well, it, even with all my performance background, it wasn't helping.
1: <laughs> did, did, did he take it well? Is he? I mean, I, I've obviously, never, I've never sat at a table with Bill Gates, believe it or not.
2: I really have a great deal of respect for him
1: yeah um
2: his way of expressing his disappointment is a little hard to hear hmm. and I won't quote it because it's not repeatable but it was it was to the room yeah like like what the yeah. heck right you know is going on with all of you yeah and um, yeah so
1: did it did delivering that message uh, import the change that you were hoping it would. I assume that it's not just about getting bad news; it's about fixing these problems, right? Right. I
2: their culture. I I found the culture hmm. for me to be challenging at the time. I think they've done a lot to change it since then. I wanna I wanna believe that. Yeah. Um, I think that um, I think that there was not the single unless it was Bill. There wasn't a single person who was going to pull and, and make office tow the line mm. with windows, right? Yeah. There was two, they had a, a culture, my experience with it was a culture of what I would call creative destruction. Hmm. And it's not the best when you have to pull everybody together to get them all rowing the in the, you know, I always use the metaphor. My people know that I use this metaphor about when you're in the boat, everybody's oars have to pull in the same direction yeah. or you don't go anywhere. And we couldn't mm. make that happen. And it really wasn't up to me to make that happen. Mm. But, um, yeah, there wasn't anybody that that was up to, to make that
1: well, happen. Well, that's part of the problem then, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. So you were there for a little over a year. Maybe talk about what was the the impetus for moving on from there.
4: Well, I
2: think the... I had come from at and Wireless where yeah. um, we had completed just the opposite. We had like, comp- completed something that everybody thought was impossible in about 10 months' time.
1: Mm. What was the impossible thing?
2: We, um, during, the, To make a long story short, when I came on board, there was an implementation of Siebel for their CRM system that they were trying to put in place. Mm-hmm. It failed dramatically. There was no CRM system during the entire uh, Christmas sales season. And so um, we had this huge audit finding because the company lost $300 million in one calendar quarter. It's a lot of money. A lot of money. And so they came back and said, look, you know, you're, first of all, you're going to get sold now. That's new. And you have to, compl- you have to demonstrate your compliance with Sarbanes, obviously. And you have 10 months to get it done okay And my boss turned to me and he goes i'm so glad you've got this <laughs> can you take, that, take care of that for me <laughs> and we came back and we said you know look now that we now that we know how to spell socks mm-hmm. now we that we kind of have our arms around the principle of what it means because nobody's done this before it's a first year accelerated yeah. filer um And that we found the terms and conditions of the sale of the company, $46 billion cash deal on the table, was that if we didn't, if we had any deficiencies in IT, the deal was off.
4: Hmm.
2: So it was in the terms and conditions. And um, I came back to him and I said, we have 10 months. Like, we don't have the time to try this once and see if it works and then do it again. We have to do it exactly right The very first time. And he said, How are you gonna do that? And I said, I don't know yet. You're just gonna have to trust me.
1: Yeah. And Hmm. we did it. Well, that's awesome.
2: And and the reason we did it though is because we were so clear. I mean, the so the what I learned about culture, and what I learned about how to get a team to get something really difficult done, um, like that, even though I mean it was monumental. And to um, and then go to the and go to an environment that it was so hard to get something done like yeah. that that was and for me, I guess, for me, coming from where I've come from in the security field, that was like such a tragically missed opportunity.
4: Mm.
2: It was really hard for me to not take that, you know to heart and um, and so yeah, at one point, <clears throat> I had a advisor mentor who just kind of looked at me and said, I wanna know by next week when you're gonna resign. Hmm. Because it was just it was just Just couldn't
1: you couldn't accomplish what you wanted to accomplish. No. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it was it was really tough lesson for me and I think the reason I share this with people is because I think we all hit that moment where we feel like, Oh my gosh, this is like the biggest public visible failure I've ever had. Hmm. Like I don't wanna have a failure. What happens if I fail? Yeah. And I felt like that's what that was for me. Because for me, that was the pinnacle of my career. That was where I was going to spend the next 10 years. That yeah. was... and, um, and I remember walking into my mentor's office and going, man, you know, this sucks. Like, I failed. And it's visible. Like, <laughs> there's no way this, it's in the papers. There's right. like no way that this is not visible. And she goes, yeah, you're still standing. How about that?
4: Hmm.
2: It taught me a really good lesson. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's a, it's. It, I think we all have those to one degree or another in our career. And I think the main thing is to. And the, there's a there's a saying that I really love is that the whole world is a very narrow bridge, and the most important thing is to not ever be afraid.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And so it took all the it took all the fear out. Hmm. Of what I was gonna, you know, whatever I was gonna do next. So.
1: So what did you what did you do next? April 2006. You're <laughs> no longer. You're no longer right. the CISO for Microsoft? Right. And,
2: I and partnered up with a friend of mine who is, uh, was an attorney who was passionate about um, uh, data security, and we wrote a book kay. on how to evaluate the uh, e-discovery capabilities of law firms.
1: That's, that's, a, that's a turn, right?
2: <laughs> we sold it to every law library in the country, and then that was it. That's, that's all the <laughs> copies
1: you can sell, yes. And it lets you go do it. Make edition number two, right? Right. Second edition is right. yeah.
2: Right. And uh, and then I, I did I started doing consulting.
4: Hmm. And just I, on your own. Uh huh. Pretty
2: much on my own.
4: Yeah.
2: And and it worked out fine. I still had, you know, over a period of time, I had had family members who came into our home or hmm. that we were responsible for in some way. So that was still going on in my life. And uh, it just worked out. It was a really nice blend. And yeah. I did that. I did that. I did ISO 27,000 work. That was my... Oh, you helped people implement? hmm mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, cause I, and I'm a huge believer in that. Like mm-hmm. I, I just think it's the greatest thing. Well, it got born in the I-4. That was the right. standard that it's actually we watched yeah. go all the way yeah. through. Right. So, um, uh, um, at some point, Oh, I got recruited again, and I went back to work for Russell Investments as their CIO.
1: Another another big company that everyone's <sighs> heard of, Russell 500 and all that. Was that was that in Chicago? Isn't that where they are?
2: No, Seattle. They're in Seattle. They moved them. Yeah, mm. they moved them uh, to uh, to Seattle from Tacoma. They were okay. their headquarters was in Tacoma.
1: They didn't know
3: that.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They were a major a major player in Tacoma, obviously, yeah. and then they moved them up to Seattle.
1: I think most importantly, I see that you served on the board for ISSA Puget Sound.
2: I did yeah,
1: for yeah. for quite a while. Yeah, was that yeah. fun? Yeah, How, was, it, was it? Is that a lively it. chapter up there?
2: Yeah, the Puget Sound chapter yeah. um, is an amazing chapter. Is it? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a lively chapter. It has people from all over. There's uh, you know the number of universities up there with mm-hmm. cybersecurity programs, University of Washington. So we had a lot of new people coming in. We had, of course, the Microsoft, you know. Um, contingent and then and the difficulty with the the, I think that's really challenging for them is that the Puget Sound chapter is divided by a lake Hmm. (laughs) and it's really hard to get around right traffic up there's absolutely abysmal so you've got everybody on the east side of the lake everybody in downtown Seattle we did a demographic study one time of, uh, of the chapter people were all the way up to the Canadian border all the way down to Portland we were, you know, we were the main chapter for, and all yeah. the way out to, all the way out to the ocean,
1: yeah, to course. Forks, yeah.
2: you know, and then to to the Cascade Mountains. That was the coverage big, for that chapter. It's a big so chapter. Most of it was virtual.
1: Sure. Have you gotten involved with the best ISSA I chapter have, here in Denver? Okay, good. I have, yeah. You know, Denver yeah. Has, uh, has become a pretty good one. Did you guys look at, in Puget Sound, ever doing multiple meetings so you could be in, you know, the west and on the east side? Yeah, so get up.
2: Yeah, we tried. We we tried. Uh, uh, no, we didn't do the multiple okay. meeting thing. We did. We tried to do um, different kinds of meetings yeah. to to let people in. Right. Make it a, make it more accessible. But with so many people, not even within driving distance.
1: Right. Just tired to do just, it.
2: Yeah.
4: yeah. Yeah.
1: So that's a great segue to say, how in the heck did we get lucky enough to have you come here to Colorado?
2: <laughs> well, thank you very much for that. <laughs> We're excited to be here. Um, we we have family here. Yeah, and um, and we love Denver. We yeah, love Denver. So,
1: and, and you just moved here about a year ago. Is mm-hmm. that right?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Twenty seventeen time frame. Yep. yep. And what what are you doing? Are you working still, or you, what what are you up to?
2: We re we kind of rebranded and relaunched uh, the consulting company. So we're doing work for some large companies. Sure. Uh, doing some consulting there. Still with, doing
1: ISO type consulting or different um, stuff now?
2: Uh, they, we won't call it that, but yeah. Our, our tagline is to help companies demonstrate due diligence to a defensible standard of care. It comes from having been associated with my lawyer friend. But the idea that it, and, and we learned this on AT&T, we demonstrated that this worked, which is if you do it right, right it doesn't necessarily cost if I, it might cost a little bit more up front, yeah. it's going to take huge amounts of cost out of i t in the in the long run, and so that's really what we want to help bring that to, to companies
1: yeah what's the right kind of companies that, that should reach out to you people who need what
2: um if If they're mid market so um we we really enjoy working with mid market companies who are still trying to figure out how to get started and yeah. where, and where they should prioritize okay yeah. Awesome. So, and if they're in Denver, especially, we really Absolutely. like that. <laughs> keep, keep you here local. <laughs> yeah, we would really prefer not to be keeping. We we go out to the um, Bay Area quite a bit. Sure. Yeah.
1: There's a couple of questions I like to ask folks. I'm going to give you a little different, a little little different spin on them. You know, I love to get advice for those who are looking to get into security. Sure. You know, your perspective coming back to really before security was a discipline. It's certainly a very immature discipline now, but it's pretty well defined at this point. Yeah. Um, you, know, you, you have this perspective to say, you know, things have changed quite a bit. Today, if someone's looking to get into security in 2018, what do they need to get good at first? What, what should the path look like?
2: Well, it really helps to have, obviously, an understanding of computers. I mean, it's kind of tough to do it without some yeah. kind of background there. But I like I guess I prefer, when I hire people, and I've always had really great retention rates, um, I look for people who are crazy excited about learning something new.
4: Hmm.
2: Um, If someone comes in, I mean there's certain skills, there's certain things that I would really want to hire like an engineer for, right, you just need that, but if somebody wants to get started on it and and they're like, they come in and they say, I'll do I'll do whatever it takes to learn this. Just give me something to do so I can get started. I can show them a path at how to do their career from there, Yeah. but they gotta have the attitude that says, I'm willing to try new things, and I'm willing to do something that might not be very interesting to start with. Yeah. So that's kind of the most, that's the thing I look for the most, and I, I think we need that now because there's just not enough people for all the openings that are out yeah. there. We've got to find a new way. You know, the the idea that, well, you have to have seven years of experience before we can hire you it isn't gonna work anymore. So
1: that that's good advice for hiring managers, but what about that person who's just trying to, to get that first job? Yeah,
2: I will go go there's get some technical background. Sure. Right? Start with the computers, the networking. Yeah. The get get you have to have the basic understanding of mm-hmm. of this medium that we use for communicating and that people use for
1: yeah. Cuz you you have to secure something. What are you securing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. securing a computer, securing a cloud, an application, and, and you know, a network, whatever it is, we need to you need to know the underlying technology to secure it. Right?
2: Yeah. And I and I think it's so a basic understanding of that and then find out if there's something that you that you love and something that other people need. Yeah. Then go there. Right?
1: Yeah, that's a it's a good the Venn diagram showing you know what yeah, what you're intersect. passionate about, what people need. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. It doesn't help much if they don't intersect. Yeah, you know. That's, yeah,
1: that's for sure. Yeah. So you obviously the other question I like to ask is you know your advice for security leaders. You have you know obviously just this awesome breadth of large enterprise experience that I mean very few people in the world have right. I, I don't know, is it, it wouldn't surprise me if there's less than 10 people who have, been, who have led security programs for as many large organizations as you have. Uh, what would you say, you know, coming out of that, uh, maybe something that's surprising that I don't expect you know, for, as a security leader, what have you learned? What, what would you do differently or not do because of, of what you've learned?
2: I would learn to let go of the fear of failure. Hmm. I wish I had done that sooner.
1: Is failure defined by a data breach? Is failure defined um, by, well, what is, what is failure in this case?
2: Well, that's a very interesting question. My mic, um, my, my, can I segue for just a quick second? Of course, please. I have a license plate on my car that I've had there for a long time. I, I, I put it on there when I was at Microsoft, and it commemorates my old boss at Microsoft. Hmm. It says, no hacker. Not because I'm against hackers, but because my performance standard, my measurement for the year was no hacks, no leaks. So I came in the next day and said, "That's okay. We're all we're all done now. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to worry about that anymore." Yeah. Um, but per, but I would take that personally, right? If somebody said, "Here's the here's the parameters. Here's the, what
3: here's your the goal and yeah. your
2: standard is," I would say, "All right, I take that up. You know, that's yeah. I'm not going to fail. I'm going to make that zero deficiency audit." Yeah. Right. And um, and I would take and I and I think almost worked it sometimes too hard to mm. to try to to
4: the strive balance for perfection wasn't there
2: yeah I would I would say well maybe it was maybe some people would look at it that way I would say that was the that was the goal and I'm gonna deliver that yeah I'll do whatever it takes to deliver that but it's it's one thing to say I'm gonna it, I'll do whatever it takes to deliver that it's another thing to say I'm tying that to my personal mm you know, sense of my right, own sense of, self.
1: So it's value and mm-hmm. like your identity mm-hmm. being tied yeah. up in that.
2: Yeah, I think I needed to learn to decouple that mm. sooner. And and I and I think there's probably a lot more people that are, or maybe they're a lot more healthy about it than mm. me. I'm being very transparent about it, but, um, and I, cause I don't think I lack confidence. <laughs> you know, that's the other thing I would say is like, man, confidence is, so important especially for women Hmm. to like uh, I want to tell women especially but everybody in this field it's like when you go into the room and somebody says we've got a problem to solve it's like give me the ball
4: Hmm.
2: I'll take it like at AT AT&T Wireless one of the things we had to solve was identity um, management it was unbelievably complicated we had 36 Different identity management systems, and four systems of record.
1: Yeah, you could have just used Ping Identity to solve and all. And then that. I, had you been around, I would have, <laughs> you know.
2: But but so we had to come up with a solution for that, right? And it's a but in order for that to happen, one person had to own it. Hmm. And it and in some ways, in our role, sometimes it means caring enough about getting the job done to not care if you get fired.
4: Hmm.
2: Like be willing. To stand up and say I'm gonna take that ball I'm gonna deliver it yeah but in the meantime I know full well I have just stretched my neck out on the right. chopping block right and and it could go off at any moment right. right so that's but that's okay with me
1: do the right thing because it's the right thing Do the
2: yeah. right thing cuz it's the right thing
1: yeah I love it Yeah. that's great Wow it, we have an hour fly by <laughs> this is, this is, I, I mean we could keep going for for a long time i, I want to give you the chance. is there anything you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask you about
2: um i i we did a project we've done a project is based on my experience both as um in in the work that I've done on the people side yeah. which is a a fair amount of work that I've done there I had two thousand hours of clinical supervised training mm-hmm. um and my technical background and experience as a leader in this industry because I'm really disturbed by the drop off. I don't know if you know this, but women have dropped off from computing occupations yeah. by some dramatic amount, right? Since yeah. the year I got my degree, it's dropped from 35% to 23% of the workforce.
1: It's like 11% of security practitioners is women.
2: Right. Yeah. And so, and so, that might the career for me was the best combination possible of creative and technical mm. and i and if somebody wants that i want them to have that so we created a program to train train people in skills not the technical skills cuz women have got extremely good technical jobs already but this is and eventually this is for everybody but it's those skills that we don't get taught that help people motor through the, that experience of having to stick your neck out on the block, you know, and yeah. say, give me the ball. And know that you've got the confidence to do it. Hmm. That's what we teach people.
1: That's awesome. And so how do you teach this?
2: We have an intensive. Um, we've got, uh, we have a two-day intensive. What we did was we created a bunch of online modules, but we teach this in a two-day intensive. And then we have uh, group coaching calls, live coaching calls once a week. Yeah. We have a private Facebook group, and then we have um, these online modules that people can have access to anytime they want to to refresh their skill set.
1: Where should people go to look us up?
2: Um, it's on our, our on our website it is the easiest place. Karenmoresdale.com.
1: Okay, I'll put it in the show notes too. Yeah,
2: I can send you the, the link. Awesome. The, there's a <clears throat> there's a training site too, but they can go look at and try to kick the tires in the class.
1: Well, Karen, this has been a real pleasure getting to hear how you've you know, gone through a really impressive career. And we're so glad that you're here in Colorado with us. Thank Hopefully you. we can get you up talking in front of the ISSA or soccer or OWASP or one of those other groups and get to know the community even better. Oh,
2: thanks. Awesome. Thanks. We're really so delighted to be here. And we just love the security community here.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks again. Thank you.